This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. All right, would you all turn to Matthew 16 and let's pray. Father, indeed, You are great and mighty. And Lord, um, I pray that You continue to open our understanding to that truth. May our vision of You uh, grow, our understanding of You and Your greatness, Your majesty, Your holiness, how awesome You are. Please uh, use this study to that end tonight. Lord, as we look at this passage and consider the truth given to us here, it's truth about the person, nature, character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, make it impact our souls. Again, may our love for You increase. May our trust in You increase. May our lives be continually changed by Your Word, Your truth. May it be for Your honor and glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Any questions on anything said this morning? I know I kind of surprised y'all with that from time to time, but <laughs> I don't think to do it every time. But uh, glad to address anything. If you ever have any questions or, or something, just write them down because we'll we'll get other opportunities, Lord willing. Okay. All right. I mentioned this morning that. Uh, um, the chapter break is a little uh, kind of out of place here, and I'm going to try to explain why here. Um, not that that's a big deal, but just, just pointing out that there is a flow of, flow of thought here um, that we don't want to lose. And that's something we we'll always have to be careful of when we're reading Scripture. Um, like, for example, when you're reading in the epistles, those were actual letters sent, and so there were no verses, uh, you know, verse numbers and chapter numbers. And so, uh, if, if we're not careful, we kind of break our trains of thought as we get from chapter to chapter. And we have to remember that the, the author wasn't doing that. He was, he was you know, just, just writing what he had to say there. And, and sometimes the breaks do come in kind of odd places. Okay, let me read uh, down through, I think I'll go ahead and read down through verse 13. Beginning in chapter, that's 13 of chapter 17, but I'm going to begin in, in verse 28 of chapter 16. <clears throat> verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, His brother, led them on a high mountain by themselves. 
and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And His disciples asked Him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. They did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Okay, let's go back to verse 28, chapter 16. And let me, let me ask you a question. Let me throw out a question here. Have you ever read this verse? Are the parallels, there's a parallel in Mark and in Luke telling the same, the same account. Have you ever looked at this verse? Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Have you ever read that verse and, and been perplexed by it? And Jesus is saying to His disciples that are standing there, there are some of you who are standing here who shall not taste of death until you see the Son of Man coming. In fact, I'm going to look at the others real quick. It's, it's going to be worded just, just a little differently. In, uh, let's see, Mark chapter 8, I believe. Let's see. 9, 9-1. Yeah, thank you. And he said to them, assuredly, it's Mark 9, verse 1. He said to them, assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Or that word present, having come. Till they see the kingdom of God having come with power. Or present with power. So just a little different wording, but the same, talking about the same thing. Um, and then, if you go over to Luke chapter 9, verse 27, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death 
till they see the kingdom of God. So, Matthew records it. Some of you who are standing here shall not taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And, and by the way, He has just said in verse 27, what we read this morning, the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His work. So, He's talking about His coming. And then he says, I'm telling you, some of you who are standing here shall not taste of death till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Then again in, uh, in, in Mark, it's you'll not taste of death until you see the kingdom of God present with power. And again in Luke, you'll not taste of death till you see the kingdom of God. Well, what do you think about that? The disciples have been dead for um, roughly 2,000 years now. Did Jesus come in their lifetime? In power? Did the kingdom, of, the presence of the kingdom of God, the Son of Man come in His kingdom? Anybody want to tackle that? Saying it might be referring to the, the 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 giving of the Holy Spirit, possibility. The resurrection is what it seems to refer to on the surface. You know, the judgment day and the resurrection. But the problem is, um, if we say that's what it means, then that had to occur during their lifetime, right? So it's over. Well, we know that's not true. Not not only because we're still here, but. Um, Paul addresses that in Thessalonians. Some of them, some of them were already saying were saying that the resurrection had already taken place, and overturning the faith of some. Paul said, and so he was assuring them that it has not happened. His resurrection? Uh, that may have been. Is that what you're referring to, Dan? Um, okay, that, that's a possibility. In other words, because he's 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 conquered death and uh, um, declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection. Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. Hmm. Amen. So, what, maybe the, 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 the institution of the church, the New Testament church, which, which would go back to the giving, pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Acts, Acts 2. Um, okay. Those are all, all good thoughts, and, and I'm not ruling out any of them, but I'm, but I'm going to uh, show you something here. Uh, because, in fact, if I can just kind of... Um, maybe I can kind of sum it up this way. Sheila was kind of hitting pretty close right there at the end there. But I, I think oftentimes um, when the Lord speaks of an event... We're thinking in terms of um, like something that's going to happen within one day and one hour, you know, that kind of thing. And and sometimes it's it's it is stretched out over time. I think this is the, it seems to be the case at least sometimes when he talks about the day of the Lord, um, because there are so many things that happen there when God talks about His pouring out of judgment. And if you look at a lot of the prophecies concerning the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord, especially get over into Revelation, it seems to span over a period of time. But 
But all of those things, it seems, are uh, the day of the Lord when He's pouring out His wrath at the end, leading up to the final judgment. So, so I think that's the case here. In other words, the coming of the kingdom um, really began when at Bethlehem, when Jesus came. Because the, the coming of the kingdom is Jesus, really. Jesus is the kingdom. He defines it. Where, where He rules, where He has dominion, that's, that's where the, the kingdom is. So, so it's already, in one sense, begun. But I think he's referencing something else here, specifically, and also with some other things in mind. Um, so I think, we're, I think we're stretching out from the period they're in all the way to the end. So, for example, he says in verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. Okay, what I'm about to show you could be the fulfillment of all of that verse except that last line. He will reward each according to His works. That hasn't happened yet. So, so I'm thinking what I'm about to show you, I'll explain as I go, but I'm thinking what I'm about to show you is the fulfillment of much of that verse, but not all of that verse. Um, let, me, let me give you another example of that real quick that I, I don't think, and, and then I'll move on and hopefully clear this up a little bit. But um, Remember the prophecy of Joel, Joel 2.28? Just talking about <clears throat> uh, a coming of the Lord, the Lord pouring out His Spirit. Here's what, what Joel says in Joel 2.28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also on My maidservants and on My, on my men servants and on My maidservants, I will pour out My Spirit in those days. Has that... Has that prophecy of Joel been fulfilled? Has it? When? At Pentecost. At Pentecost, right. We know that. Why do we know that? Because Peter said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Problem is, <clears throat> um, I didn't read the whole thing. Peter, Peter does. Look at verse 30. If you're in Joel, look at verse 30. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. See here again, it's a reference to the day of the Lord. Um, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, we know that's come to pass too. Paul, Paul keeps talking about that in Romans. Um, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Okay? Now, and then clearly, you, you, you think about that whole passage we just read, 28 through 32 in Joel, Joel 2. And you get over to Acts 2, and Peter says, This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to quote that passage. But the question is, has all that been fulfilled? 
I don't think it has. It's possible that it has. I know the way that some people interpret it, because this is prophetic genre, which uh, just meaning it's a, it is a, uh, a linguistic style. In other words, you don't have to take everything literal. Um, there, there's uh, poetic language used here to describe cataclysmic events. But, uh, for example, I mean, I don't think the moon is going to literally turn to blood, but... It's, it's, it, that, that's giving some indication that something is going to happen, and it's probably going to look blood red, kind of like we see, uh, we, we see that actually happen sometimes, uh, almost. Um, but still, the magnitude of what Job is describing here, or Joel rather, is describing here, seems to be uh, an event of such that I don't think the world has, has known so far. I don't think. I say it's possible, depending on how you interpret it. You might say, well, all this was fulfilled. Um, it was just pointing to things that happened. But I don't think it's all been fulfilled yet. And yet, P- Peter clearly says in Acts 2, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he's, and what we see happening, happening in Acts 2 is uh, verse 28. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And then certainly, as I already mentioned in verse 32, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know that that's fulfilled at that point also. But what about all these other catastrophic events? It, it would seem that they haven't happened yet. So what I'm saying is, this, it, if that's correct, this day that Joel is talking about started on the day of Pentecost. It began to come to pass, but it hasn't all played out yet. So we're we're... we're in this, in the middle of this now, where God is pouring out His Spirit, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I don't think, I don't think we've seen the wonders in the heavens yet, the blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun turn into darkness, the moon turn into blood, and unless that really is just um, symbolic of, of some things that did happen. But I, but I don't think that's the case. So you've got a prophecy of an event that looks like, on the surface, it looks like something immediate, when in reality, it's very possible that it spans out over a a large period of time. That's what I think, I know that's kind of a lengthy explanation, but that's what I think Jesus is doing here in Matthew 16. So I'm going to show you what I think is, is the beginning of it. In other words, why does Jesus say, there are some of you standing here who shall not taste death? And, uh, and just a side note here, that word taste, I like, <laughs> I wanted to point that out because I just, I just like that, the way the scripture speaks. Uh, what, what does he mean, taste death? Well, yeah, he means to die, but I mean, why would he use, why would he use taste? Why would he use that kind of language? What, what is it, it's, huh? But what's it mean to taste death? To experience it. Who said that? <laughs> All right. If I had a, you know, some kind of little consolation prize, I'd give it to you. But I, I mean, a, <laughs> perfect. To experience it. To experience it. That's, that's what he means by taste. Keep that in mind when you read Psalm 37. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What the, what the psalmist is, is saying has to happen is you've got to ex- experience the Lord. You know, not just hear about Him. Not just hear talk about Him. 
You've got to experience Him. And when you experience Him, you'll find He is good. All right, that's a side note. But I, I just wanted to point that out. Um, so Jesus says, He is saying that you're going to die, are not going to die before this happens. Some of you standing here shall not taste death. That is, you're not going to die till, till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. What is He referring to? Well, could be the day of Pentecost. Could be His resurrection. Um, don't think it's the second coming. Although, like I say, if we put it together in context with verse 27, included in this coming is He will reward each according to His works. So, uh, so again, I think what we're dealing with here is something that starts... It begins, it comes, the Son of Man comes in His glory... In his kingdom, while the apostles are still living, and it's still going on now, and it's going on until the judgment day when he judges every man and gives to all uh, reward according to their works. Now, this is why I said I think the chapter division is... is uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a stumbling block here when, when we're trying to keep the context. <clears throat> Verse 28, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, His brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. What is he doing? What is happening? <laughs> he's, he's, he's coming in his power, in kingdom. He's manifesting his glory. Now, in every one of the synoptic accounts, this is recorded in all of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in every one of them, and they're not all written in chronological order. We already know that. Some of them are kind of thematic. So they're not necessarily, when you read through the Gospels, they're not necessarily in chronological order. Unless it tells you. Sometimes it will make it clear that it is. Like here, it says after six days. So you know this is after six days of Jesus speaking, verse 28. But a lot of times it's not chronological. In every one of the synoptic Gospels that, that records this, the transfiguration immediately follows that statement. And Jesus says, there's some of you who are standing here who are not going to taste of death till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Or, I think it was Luke that said, till you see the kingdom of God. And then what happens? After six days, takes them up on a mountain. He takes them off alone. Peter, James, and John led them on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. It's fulfilling verse 28. And that's what I'm suggesting. <clears throat> 
What what we're reading here in chapter 17, verses 1 um, through what? 9? Yeah. That's a fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about in verse 28. Or at least, the beginning of it. So, like Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. But then you read not only Joel 2, but... All of what Peter quoted, I mean, he knew what he was talking about. Read what he quoted, and it doesn't appear to have all happened there on the day of Pentecost. And yet he says, this is that. Which makes it seem like he's meaning, this is the beginning of it. it, it it's here. This is that. It started. God is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And ultimately, uh, the great day of, of the Lord is coming. He's going to judge the earth. But, he, but that part hasn't happened yet. We're, we're in that period. And I think that's the same thing going on here. So, 17 verses 1 through 9 is a fulfillment of verse 28. And that's why he can clearly say, some of you are standing here and not taste of death till you see the, king, the, the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, he takes them up on a mountain, Peter, James, and John. And what exactly takes place here? Verse 2 says he was transfigured before them. That's, that's a, that's a uh, very specific term. It's um, a change of form. It's, for, it's the word from which we get our word uh, metamorphosis. So it's, it's not merely... It constitutes a genuine change. It's not, it's not like changing clothes, like merely changing in appearance in some way. You know, you put on a mask. There is a Greek word for that, but, it's, but this is not it. So, you, you, there's, it constitutes a genuine change of form. Now, what's happening here is they're getting a glimpse of <laughs> the glory of Christ. I mean, for a moment, I don't know how long it lasted, but a moment in history, I don't know if it lasted ten minutes or an hour or, you know, half a day or whatever, but for a moment in history, the veil is taken back. And they're seeing the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Or, how did Mark say that? They shall see the kingdom of God present with power. Present with power. So, what Matthew's been doing all the way through the Gospel, right, is, is talking to us about who Jesus is. Who is this man from Nazareth? Matthew's been telling us. He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. He's divine. He was supposed to be the son of Joseph. <laughs> but in reality, he's the son of God. And little by little, progressively, pretty much as we've gone through the, the gospel, uh, you know, it's just it's, and because this is the way Jesus did it in his ministry, he's giving them uh, little by little more and more about who he is. And it's becoming crucial now because he's just announced to them 
But he's going to his death. Now, he's, he's already in the form of a servant. He's already in a lowly form. So that it would be hard to conceive of him as, as divine. Obviously, because even when he did things to prove it, like steal the wind and the waves, cast out demons, or you know, have demons, people fall down, people who were demon-possessed fall down before him and cry out, you're the Holy One of God. Even when those things happened, the disciples didn't quite, quite get it. I mean, they, they had some, you know, some, it's like when somebody's trying to shake you to wake you up. You know, they had some shakings, but they, but they just weren't coming fully awake. Because he's in such a humble form. And now here he is saying he's going to die. I'm, I'm going to suffer. We're going up to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And how humiliating is that? And, and they're about to witness that. I mean, it's drawing close. He has begun now, as we saw in verse 21, chapter 16, verse 21. He has begun now to teach them concerning these things. And he's also increasing the revelation of who he is. And he, for a moment, pulls back the veil. It's, it's like when Moses prayed and said, God, show me your glory. What a prayer that is. Lord, I'm not asking, I'm not asking to be rich. I'm not asking to be the wisest man on the earth. You're not a genie in the bottle, in a bottle. I'm not, I'm not asking that you make my life easy. I just want to see your glory. Lord, show me your glory. And God gave him a glimpse. You may. I think for encouragement, because because of what they are about to witness, Jesus is preparing them. And He's telling them now. If you think about the discussion that preceded this, Peter just was so disturbed by Jesus talking about being crucified. Um, verse 21 again. Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised the third day. And Peter so disturbed by this that he would rebuke the Lord. They, they are looking for the coming of the kingdom. They've got the wrong idea about what it is. And that's kind of their mindset here is, the kingdom is supposed to be coming. What are you talking about getting killed by the chief priest? You're supposed to be bringing in the kingdom. Where's the kingdom? 
Now you're telling us you're going to die. And so he tells them, well, look, you're not going to die. You're not going to die before you see the kingdom come. Before you see the presence of God in power. He's, he's setting them up um, for the crucifixion. I mean that in a good way. I mean, he's, he's giving them encouragement. He's strengthening them here. And so he takes Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain and pulls back the veil, hiding his, or veiling his identity. He has changed, metamorphosized before them. Changes forms. Not that, he, not that he really changes essence. He doesn't become a different person or something like that. But now, I think the idea behind the Word is now they're getting a glimpse of His true essence that they haven't really comprehended. Remember Philippians 2? He was in the form of God. He considered equality with God something not to be grasped. In other words, it wasn't something he needed to attain because he, was, he had it. It wasn't robbing God, as the old King James said. He, he had it. So it wasn't you know, something he had to rob God of. It wasn't something he had to grasp. He was in the form of God. And then Paul goes on to say there that he poured himself out. Took on the form of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death. He's, he's, he's in a different form here, here in the Gospels, in the Incarnation, since he became flesh. He's in a different form here than he has been from all eternity. <laughs> Remember, well, let me look at this. John 17. What does he pray in John 17 about the glory he's about to uh, experience? John 17:5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Which, again, by the way, um, the glory that He had with the Father before the world was, He's God. He he doesn't have a beginning. He, He did not begin at Bethlehem. He says, glorify Me, Father, with the glory which I had with You before the world was. He has always, throughout all eternity, existed in a state of glory. And so, what, when, in Philippians 2, when Paul says he emptied himself, that's what he's talking about. He poured himself out. He emptied himself of his glory. Think about it. You go back to Isaiah 6, and Isaiah, like Moses, gets a glimpse of the glory of God. And what does he see? He sees the throne room. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And the, the train of His glory fills the temple. And he sees the seraphim, and they're crying out nonstop. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This, this has been Jesus' existence from all eternity. 
a state of glory with the Father. But He poured Himself out, emptied Himself, and took on the form of a servant. So here He is in the Gospels in the form of a servant. And now, in 17.2, He is, for a moment, to grant a glimpse, He is transformed into a glorious state, transfigured before them. Metamorphosis. And His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became as white as the light. All of those things are indicative of glory. Those are manifestations of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? You ever thought about that? I mean, they're getting a glimpse here, but what? at what? What's the glory of God? What was that? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Or as Edwards used to say, His excellencies, His majesty, His greatness, His infinite love, infinite mercy, infinite goodness, infinite holiness. But it's represented oftentimes in Scripture by things like bright light or the Shekinah Cloud, and again, that word means uh, presence too, by the way. It's God's presence. Like when Solomon dedicated the temple and talks about the temple being filled with the glory of God. Well, there's a physical manifestation, a cloud. In fact, at times so thick that the priests couldn't even do their job. They couldn't stay on their feet. But, but that's a tangible, visible manifestation of a spiritual reality. The glory of God is not a cloud. The glory of God is His greatness, His majesty, His excellence, His supremacy, His transcendence. And and that's what they're getting a glimpse of. This Jesus that they've been walking around with, that they've been following, claims to be the Messiah, is God in the flesh. And they're getting a quick view of that as He is literally transformed, metamorphosized before their eyes. I don't know if metamorphosize is a word or not, but it always sounded good to me, so I use it. Metamorphosis. And you know what happens with a caterpillar when he goes into a, uh, a cocoon, right? Metamorphosis. He does what? Changes forms. Goes in a caterpillar, comes out something quite different. A butterfly. So Jesus is transfigured before them. Now, just a couple quick things before we close. That's, that's, that's pretty much the main point, except there's one more thing here. But goes on to say, Matthew does, John 3. And, and I find this fascinating. Obviously, Peter, James, and John did too. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Talking with him. Now, over in uh, uh, Caesar Mark or Luke, it tells us that they were discussing his death, discussing his decease. You're talking about when he's going to be deceased. Discussing his death with him, with them. It doesn't give us the particulars about what was said. It would be interesting to know that, wouldn't it? But that that is that's what's taking place throughout this context. Jesus 
chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and die. And that's, that's been the thought behind all of this all the way down. Peter finds that repugnant, rebukes the Lord. The Lord rebukes Peter. And then the Lord says, look, you got to die too if you're going to follow Me. I'm going to the cross. You want to follow Me? Then you're going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. You're going to die. And so, you know, they're not just throwing a party about that. They're not all real excited about that. And so now, Jesus, before these things are accomplished, gives them a glimpse of His glory. I think in part, to, to sustain them through all of this. I mean, you don't think this has an impact on Peter, James, and John? You see that it does in the following verses. Anyway, I find this fascinating. Here's Moses and Elijah. Where do they come from? What are they doing alive? <laughs> Jesus told the Sadducees one time, Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and Jesus told them, He's God. God's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the dead. Well, here's some proof of that. Here's Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about his death. Peter, and again, it's either in Mark or Luke. One of them tells us Peter says the following here because he didn't know what to say. You know, he just and we and we already know Peter well enough to know he he's not quite the quiet type. Well, he's going to say something, and he didn't know what to say, so he just kind of blurted this out in verse four. Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. <laughs> one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And that's hard to know what all was going through Peter's mind right there. Um, maybe, maybe he meant tabernacle in the sense of like the, the, the tabernacle of the Old Testament. In other words, a place of worship, a shrine type thing. We'll make one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. It's an interesting thing too, isn't it? He may have introduced them. I don't know, but uh, uh, but you know that's interesting too. It's just like Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, and that's what I, I I don't know how many times. It's one of those questions that just comes up, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just amazing how much it comes up. But uh, I've had people ask me, "Do you think we'll all know each other when we get to heaven?" And I said, "Certainly." Not not only. Do I think we'll, we'll know each other? I think we'll know people we didn't even know in this lifetime. Um, because when the rich man saw uh, Abraham, he knew who he was. And he called him Father Abraham. And here, they seem to know. I mean, like I say, Jesus may have told them. Or they, you know, Moses may have said, I'm Moses, how are you doing? And, and uh, you know, oh, good, I'm Peter. And this is James and his, his brother John. Um, by the way, that's Elijah. I, I don't know. But I'm like Paul. It seems like to me that they just knew. They just knew. That's, there's Moses. There's Moses and Elijah talking to the Lord. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I think we'll know each other, and I think we'll know when you see Moses. I think you'll know him, and when you see Elijah, and when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon, assuming he's there, and and uh, uh, Jeremiah, and 
Go down the list. Yeah, I think you'll know them when you see them. But it's interesting that they are here talking to the Lord about His death. Jesus says in John 5 to the Jews, you read the Scripture and in them you think you find eternal life. But it is they who speak of Me. And what Jesus is saying there, and He says it in other places as well, all of the Old Testament <laughs> talks about Me. What's a shorthand way of saying that? Moses and the prophets. That's a common way of just covering the whole, or sometimes it'll be Moses and the Psalms and the prophets. But that's just a shorthand way of referring to the whole Genesis to Malachi. Moses and the prophets. That's what you have represented here. So just like in John 5, Jesus says, it's, it's the Scriptures, the writings that speak of Me. Here you have two of the main representatives. Moses, certainly, he, he's the author of the first five books, the author of the law, stands as the representative of the law. He's the law giver. Um, the law was given through Moses, John says in John 1. So he, he certainly stands as representative of the law of God and... Elijah seems to me to be just kind of the ultimate prophet. I mean, he, uh, I mean, he had his bad days. <laughs> he ran from Jezebel and, you know, and got out in the wilderness talking about how he was the only faithful one left when God had 7,000. Um, he had his days, but he's also the one that stood against 800 prophets false prophets and called fire down from heaven to consume their sacrifices. So what I'm saying is all of the Old Testament, including the lives of Moses and Elijah, all of the Old Testament pointed to Christ. So how fitting, uh, I mean, that they would come as representatives here of the law and the prophets to speak with Jesus about the central event to all of redemptive history. His death. And there's something about that that I even find more interesting. Let me get to it this way and then we'll close. Peter's ecstatic, like I guess any of us would be, in shock and in fear, we're also told. says, let, let us make for you three tabernacles. Now, if he's... He, he could be thinking like, like the, the, the feast, you know, the, 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 tabern, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles where they would come to Jerusalem and pitch tents. Uh, around the whole idea was camping out in the presence of God. That may be what Peter and James and John have in mind, and they just what they want to do is, uh, and who wouldn't? I mean, what they want to do is let's just camp out here, Lord. I mean, here you are in your glory. There's Moses and Elijah. Um, we're good. I mean, this is good. You know, let's let's don't talk more any more about killing and you know, let's don't even go back down the mountain. This is good. They may, like I mentioned a moment ago, be, be thinking in terms of kind of like shrines. We're going to erect a tabernacle for you, is what it sounds like. We're going to erect a tabernacle for Moses and one for Elijah and one for you. And if they're thinking that way, they're, they're really, really, really way off. Now, whether or not they're thinking that, um, 
This is, I think, Matthew's main point here. That there is one amongst these three. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. There is one amongst those three that is supreme. There is one who is superior. One who is preeminent. One greater than Solomon. He said so himself. One greater than the temple. He said so himself. One greater than Jacob who dug the well that the woman referred to in John 4. He said so himself. One greater than Abraham. He said in John 8.58, before Abraham was, I am. One greater than Moses. One greater than Elijah. So if they're thinking, boy, our Lord is right up there with Moses and Elijah. We'll just build a temple for each of them and revere them. If that's what they're thinking, they're way off. And I suspect it's something along those lines. And here's why. Verse 5. <clears throat> while he was still speaking, that is, while, while Peter is still making his, uh, his suggestion here. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased Hear Him. Folks, there's a, there's a transition taking place in the New Testament. From old to new. From old covenant to new covenant. From pre-cross to post-cross. And, and even post-cross. We, we tend to think that all of this just happens immediately. And so as soon as Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Everybody understands that salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. And everybody understands that He's the Son of God in flesh and so forth. And so from that moment on, all the believers ceased being Jews and practicing Judaism. And, uh, you know, the, the Christian church was established and there you had it right in Jerusalem, First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. But that's not the way it happened at all. It's a transition and it's, it's relatively slow. And so Jesus can say, none of you who are, some of you who are standing here won't even die, won't even taste of death till you've seen the Son of Man coming in His glory. In the same breath that He talks about rewarding people according to their works at the judgment. In other words, He's talking about an event that begins here and extends on till the last day. Now, here's what I'm getting at in regard to Him personally. The voice says, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. There's a transition taking place. Where, where, is, where is all of the attention as far as direction and authority up until this point of time? And, I, and I've said this over and over as we've been walking through this Gospel, Matthew is showing us the authority of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing through Matthew. He's, he's relating to us His 
teaching. And even the people there, even some of them who didn't believe, they marveled at His teaching. They said, He teaches as one who has authority, and no man ever spake like this before. And then He gives us account after account after account of Jesus exercising His power over demons and over natural forces. Matthew is showing us the authority of Christ. But up until this point, the ultimate authority has been the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Now, Jesus said clearly in the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. So it's not as though they're at odds. But what's happening here in this transition is the fulfillment is taking place. It's coming to fruition, God's plan. And so now you have the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah. And and the apostles are saying, look, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, this is great. Let's, Let's just stay here and camp out and revere them. And a voice comes from heaven in the middle of that suggestion and says, this, not Moses, not Elijah, Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Hear Him. In other words, from this point on, He's the authority. Now, again, I want to be clear. Not not in contradiction to them. It's not because they were wrong. But they were pointing to Him. They were looking for this day. And now it has arrived. And so now all eyes are to be on Jesus And so even when we read the Law and the Prophets, it should be looking to Jesus, finding out how how is this fulfilled in Jesus. When I read Moses, what is this telling me about Jesus? When I read the Prophets, what is this telling me about Jesus? The fulfillment is here. Hear Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Now, notice this in verse 8. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The Son of Man has come in power. The kingdom has come. His presence in power. Hear Him. All we need to look to is Him, Jesus. Jesus only. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. And Lord, for the understanding that You give. And we, Lord, are so grateful for redemption that You've provided. Your eternal plan, carried out in time, in the life, death, resurrection, ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, enable us to hear Him. To look to Him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.